You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Hoof Care Essentials Foundation partner, Pacific Coast Horseshoeing School. I've come up to Claycross in Derbyshire, which is the north and centre of England, uh, to speak to Doug Bradbury. And I'm sitting here in his most wonderful museum. He's given me a great tour. And we're going to have a chat about his life as a farrier and a few other things. Welcome, Doug. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, all right, the first thing, Doug, is... Uh, you're retired now, aren't you? But well, you, yeah, yeah. You, you got into showing when? Uh, early fifties, mid mid fifties, I think, when I started. Yeah, we left school and I went to the mine straight away. Yeah. The entire class went to the coal mine. Thirty six of us. They didn't know how lucky they were. Uh, and if you went down the pit, I was down the pit on my fifteenth birthday actually, and the bosses all stand in line, and as you walk past, they pick you. You're a big lad, go and fetch a pony and take it to Three Seas, that was the name of the district. Another smaller lad, you go in the pit bottom, you're handling pit bottom stuff. So you were sorted every day like that as you went down. And I was sent to the stables to pick a pony up and drive, take it out to Three Seas, taking supplies to the coalface. At 600 yards down, two mile out and two mile back, three or four times a day, bent double because there wasn't much height. Uh, as you got out, and plenty of room in the pit bottom, but as you got out into the district, it'd be six, ten, eight foot, not much more. So you're continually catching your back, and that would need for helmets. We did have helmets then, but a lot of lads previously didn't even have helmets. And and you walked down, or you took the ponies down? The ponies were already stable in the pit bottom. They no, stand. I mean, sorry, I should have said to the coalface. Yeah, yeah, we led them when we could, or we'd let them roll on, and we'd walk, walk at the back, or sometimes ride in between the shafts and the tubs. You just took yourself in and let him go, and th- they knew what they were doing. I think you told me you weren't really supposed to do that. If the <laughs> supervisors <really>. caught you, <laughs> yeah, with two shillings, you got fined two shillings from your wages if you got caught riding. So that's that's yeah. ten pence. Uh, that were a lot of money, yeah. <laughs> I, I bet it was. I bet yeah. it was because you were only getting probably about eight to ten pound a week for a week's wage, and that was from like half past six in the morning till half past two, quarter to three in the afternoon, yeah. a day shift, and then uh, night uh, afternoon shift. From 2.30 until 10, then the night shift were from 10 till 7, so... No um, wonder they extracted the coal, at oh, 24 them, hours... Oh yeah, 20, the shafts were going 24 hours, yeah. Yeah. And so the ponies went down and they stayed down, that was it. Yeah, they only, they only ever came up... Well, if they were dead. Or if there was a strike. Yeah, if there was a strike, yeah. Mainly broken necks or hoofs oh, being ripped off and things like that, you see. Because the, the gradients of the, the stratas weren't all level. And as you can imagine, a pony, he'd have probably three or four tonne of coal in tubs at the back of him. Yeah. And as the tubs gathered speed downhill, they all started to move faster. Oh. The head automatically comes up. And of course, you get it at the back of a girder, and then this three tonne push it the opposite way. And, and you showed me in the museum that even the pit ponies had a lamp on their head. Oh, yeah, they? yeah. Made by Davis of Derby, yeah. 1924. Pit pony lamps. They stamped on the top, pit pony lamps, Davis. They also made all of the lamps as well, and yeah. they're still in business to this day. So that's and they sent me some photographs from the archives, 1924, when they exhibited these lamps at the Royal Show, and they couldn't get a pony to stand all day, so they borrowed a stuffed zebra <laughs> from the Derby Museum. And so there's a whole generation <laughs> of people that think they use zebras. <laughs> zebras, there, one with his pajamas on on nights. <laughs> yeah. But you showed me because you, uh, you've got more than one pit pony lamp, but. Yeah. Uh, they've got dents and cracks in them, haven't they? Oh, yeah, because there were user heads to open the ventilation doors. There was quite a bit of gas at the coal face, and, of course, you needed the power of these big fans, and they used to have these ventilation doors to direct it up one gate, gateway, as we call it, the roadway, yeah. down the coal face, down the next gate, and along, and there were d- doors directing it. And you couldn't get by these ponies to to alter the doors or open the doors from these big, thick, but what you call them bullseyes, yeah. People have them in houses nowadays, uh, in fancy blown glass with a big ring, very thick, and they butt it with their head and push it open and go through it and then it should, the ventilation would shut it on its own. Yeah. All the tubs would go through. So. Now you weren't down the pit 
or, or down the colliery many years, were you? No, because there were no masks or anything like that. They used to blow coal up, blast it, the dynamite, and you imagine 20, 30 men working on a coal face, each of what, eight yards apiece. It was just a thick London fog, and yeah. it tasted, it smelled horrible, and it took ages for it to clear. Because the ventilation wasn't all that good, the further out you got, it was very warm in some pits, very wet. Uh, and of course you could come up the pit a bit earlier if you got wet, so a lot of people used to deliberately get wet yeah. to get half an hour knocked off. But, uh, so that that's when we uh, we used to drive our supplies up there, take all the different rings, arches, girders, roof supports, all sorts of things used to be loaded in these tubs. We used to take them as far as we could, then drop them off and bring the ponies back. Uh, so there was no fear of anything exploring, but just this thick fog, and it got on your chest. I was so ill, I got pneumonia, and the doctor said, you've got to come out of the pit, get out of that dust, whatever you do, and you want you to go to Isle of Wight for an holiday. Well, when I tell me... Well, that was all right, wasn't it? My mother says, you what? <laughs> We'd never been out to Chesterfield and Clay Cross, and Isle of Wight, where's that? Do you want a passport? And <laughs> when you think we were getting 10 or 11 pound a week for four weeks' wages, it went a lot. But anyway, father worked on the surface. He got buried in 1945 and they had to dig him out. The roof came in and buried him and damaged his arm. So they didn't sack you, the, the coal board. They gave you a light job. Yeah. And he was on the surface collecting the little brass checks that they used to have, one for going in and one for coming out, so they knew the pit was empty. Yeah. And he said, there was an afternoon, he says, have you gone out to the doctor's, lad? I said, I've got to come, I've got to come out of the pit. I said, I'll see you when you get back tonight. And he had a few friends, he says, that was Thursday, I think it was. He says, you start in the blacksmith shop on Sunday morning. That was walking like three miles down the road here to the pit. There yeah. were no buses, walked to work. And I started with this bloke in the blacksmith shop, my boss, brilliant fella. But he drew a line across the anvil. I was employed as a striker and I was this side of the anvil. I wasn't allowed that side. Only at lunchtime, from quarter to twelve, to 12 when we could go and sit on the trestle and toast our sandwiches on the forge. Then you got to go back that side at line. That yeah. was his territory. And um, he taught me such a lot and he knew how to do things. We used to do railway crossings, hinges for doors, all the the electrician's tools, the fitter's tools, hardening and tempering. Uh, all that work used to come in. We used to go down the pit at two o'clock each day and he'd stay till probably half past four, five o'clock. They put a pair on one, a pair on another. It was in between shifts when the ponies were coming in, the afternoon ones were going out and the night ones were getting ready for night. So you check all the feet, make sure they're okay. But you'd always got the bosses breathing down your neck. That'll be all right, leave that, leave that. It'll be all right, do it tomorrow. And you'd put a pair on. Sometimes I'd one, they wouldn't let you do anymore because they were waiting for the pony. Sounds like she's on a racing yard. 24 hour call, they were turning call 24 you, hours. I, I saw in your museum, I've got a picture, so I'll try and remember to put this up of a farrier's toolbox yeah. and it's got a lamp with a battery hasn't it? Yeah, well the battery lamps we used to wear around <coughs> our belts yeah. and clip on yak. There are no lights in the stables and that one later on. Uh, so you used to take your belt off and fit it in the back of the toolbox and then clip it on and it shone between your legs when you got the horse's foot. You got a spotlight, yeah. you, you could work. A lot of people used to suffer with eye stigma in them days, you know, yeah. in the dark and yeah. contrast used to cause quite a few problems with the eyes. And how, how big were these ponies that you were showing? Depending on what part of the country we were, because uh, in Scotland they were Shetlands, or in, we were the 13, 14 twos. In Wales they were bigger because they were thicker seams of coal. Whichever the start of the coal was, the ponies could handle it. They couldn't get machines to go around corners and things like that. These ropes that they used to have, these haulage ropes, they were yeah. all right on a straight, but you couldn't get them to go around bends, or ponies could. Yeah. And Shetland used to, I mean, there was a seam down at the pit where I was, and that was 18 inches thick. And there were men working in that. It, it's quite frightening when you see yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've seen the pictures of these fellas yeah. almost laying on their sides. Sides, chopping coal on the sides, yeah, with, with a, a candle yeah. in some cases. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And they wouldn't know what the bang was. But in these days, they were probably the only ones that didn't know what the bang was. <laughs> they probably hadn't heard it. We shouldn't joke about it. No, I mean, a lot of people did die like that. Oh, then, it's horrendous. And I mean, when the weight came on the props, you could see girders, steel girders, actually bending in front of your eyes. Six by six steel girders just called it over. Oh, that was a weight from above, like, yeah. 
All right, so you so you were shoeing the pit ponies, and you were were you hand making the shoes? Anything the coal board wouldn't the previous owners, private owners, wouldn't buy ready made or anything like yeah. that. You know, get a bit of scrap, go up the scrap, and they sent us we used to go up most mornings have a quick run because the wagons used to come from Sheffield yeah. to be cleaned, and then they were filled with coal. And you pick all sorts of bits of steel up from the works in Sheffield. And one fella sent us one day, he'd been up and he said, there's a lovely water otter up there. Have you seen it? I said, no, he said, if you go up there, keep on the left-hand side. And we did about nearly a mile up these sidings. I said, we couldn't see no water otter. It was a bloody old kettle, wasn't it? A water otter. A water otter? A kettle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had us, we were taken in by that, yeah, a water otter. <laughs> so, uh... All right, so you, you, you were making some shoes and you were yeah. shoeing these ponies, yeah. but you started to pick up some other work, didn't you? In, oh. in the 50s, was that? Yeah, yeah. I, I always, you're always hungry for money. When you're married and got a young family, you think, I, I could 10, 11 pounds a week, I could do that pony. There was quite a few local traders used to, couldn't get a farrier. Yeah. The blacksmith shop had closed across the road, it used to be right opposite where we at that pub. I thought, I'll make a few in my spare time and go and knock them on. And like it started at one pound fifty for four shoes, we started a pound to take them off and put them back on again, a refit, and fifty pence for a trim. That's what we to show that. And I built it into quite a nice little business. And then the pits started to close, sixties, and Park House was on the list where I worked at. And uh, a fellow said they wanted a foreman blacksmith at Sherland, a drift mine. Are you interested? So, so just to explain to people, drift mine is a mine that goes directly from into the hillside. Air. From yeah, the hillside, so, you so, just dig so in. So you don't up. drop a vertical pit. No, no, into it. no, no. No drift mine. The ponies came out every night and were stabled on the surface. Yeah. So that was a nice little job, but it only lasted probably two years, and that closed because all these pits were over a hundred years old by then, yeah. and they'd almost exhaust them to have gone so far out it wasn't economical to bring it back, yeah. and uh, of course. Things went from strength to that shoot, and then I got a, a job in B winning. They couldn't, the farrier retired, they couldn't get a farrier there. And uh, the rope splicer used to bring his pony to work at half past four in the morning, and he'd put it in the stable on the surface with the surface pony, because he always had a big horse on the surface. Yeah. He said, I've put my pony outside, can you shoe it sometime today? And he used to leave me a dozen eggs, a dozen fresh eggs, and he used to wait till the manager had gone home at half past three, and then he'd come out with his pony and take it home. <laughs> We're all running cold ball time. <laughs> yeah. We shouldn't say that, but it was actually, you know, it was. Uh, and it, was that worthwhile for. A, no, 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 but I mean, everybody were friends, you dealt one another, you go. We were yeah. all in the same boat. Yeah. We hadn't got much, and we shared what we got. And then I know you, you built up a bit of a business with trotters, didn't you? Oh, trotting and pacing, yeah. yeah. I used to go to Prestatin at Manchester Raceway at Droylsden, and all, first of all, I'd done a few and I took some old shoes at the side of the waste bin in the yard and this bloke come one day delivering, we used to get a ton of coal every four weeks, free. Yeah. One ton of coal every week, four weeks, delivered. And he saw these old shoes, he says to my wife, it was a blacksmith, she says, my husband, he says, oh, he says, we need a blacksmith desperately, he says, can I come and see him? She says, yeah, of course you can, they'll be in tonight. And he turned up at the, on this housing estate in this big, beautiful grey Jaguar. He was married to a German girl that looked like, oh, my, my army camera. I can see you're still drooling, Dad. She was, built, charming, she was beautiful. <laughs> She'd got a pencil skirt on, black tights, and her head. I thought, wow, I, I'll do his horses, yeah, yeah. And he said, I've got two or three, my brother's got two or three, we've got his own track, not many miles away from here. And the bloke in Matlock Park's got his, he's got a couple. And Clem Dodd at Matlock, he's got 10 or 12 of them. But they all have these crossfires on, these tow weights yeah. and side weights. He said, if we bring you some patterns, can you get some made? I said, yeah, we're making it. And we got them done and he set me off going like, you know, and it, I thought, I'm doing all right here. I was doing them after work at night. I was working till nine or ten o'clock some night. In fact, I left Neil once. Yeah. Neil didn't like going to school like I didn't, and he'd go anything to go with his dad. Yeah. So we went up to Christ to shoe these trotters, and he'd got a boy the same age when they first started having these go-karts and he's complained with him like so I'm doing these trotters and we had a cup of tea so I'm going then Derek okay so Derek paid me and I come put the car in the garage and I walked in the house she says where's Neil I said oh god I'd left him they were going around they see a track on this go-kart 
Yeah. And I had to go back to Christ to fetch him, which was like nearly eight miles from me and back again. Wow. <laughs> he never missed me, actually, so... No, I, I, I no, should have no, no, said, oh, should I? Not a kid on a go-kart, yeah, that's for sure. It's been a lot cheaper. Yeah. But uh, I'll never forget that when I left him at, at Christ. It was great that way. So now you got going, you got your business going, you're now a fellow. So what inspired you to, to work towards the fellowship? Well, I, I got that much work, I took an apprentice on. A young chap called Martin Bridge, he used to be called our Saturday boy. He used to come on a Saturday when he went to school. He'd sweep up and he'd come in the van and pass a few tools. And I took him on as an apprentice when he left school. And he went on the uh, association course, National Association course it was then. I think it was 13 weeks I had to do first time. And they did welding, electric welding, gas welding, agriculture, tractor repairs. And they got a bit sick of it because soon Hereford they got homesick. They used to go to the laundrette on a Sunday and watch the washing go around for a bit of entertainment. Because <laughs> they went the wages. Yeah, Hereford's like that. <laughs> I think the wages was about eight pounds a week. It weren't a lot of money. But he said, I, I don't like this course as well. Martin, just think if you got injured any time, you'd be able to turn your hand to doing welding and tractor repairs. You'd always yeah. be able to make a living. Oh, he says, oh, so he stayed on that course with company. And he took his RSS. And I thought, well, He's got more than I've got if he gets that. So I went on, they started doing a revision course. So you hadn't got the RSS at the time? No. no. Well, that's the same as me. No. I did 10 years before I took yeah. my diploma. Yeah, I've got this business. I thought, well, I better go and get something because they'd be more qualified than what I am. And they started doing these courses at Hereford, Bill Watts and young Bill Watts, old man Bill Watts. And it was £8 a week, I think it was, for the course then. And if the council, at Claycross Council, couldn't provide it, they used to pay the course fee. It was called an outer county permit. And they would pay Hereford for that course. We had to pay for his own accommodation. Yeah. Uh, but it was like a week's revision. And then you could take your exam the following week. Which I did. I went and took my exam. And then Martin took his fault at the back end of that year. So we were both RSS together. And he was a promising lad. He was a very keen, hard-working lad. Get on, never had a wrong word. He'd do anything you'd asked him. I said, what about your associateship? Well, I don't know. We made him full of spituals and everything. Because everybody making all the tools, that's when the company started giving every farrier a free set of that's tools right, yeah. in them days. And uh, we got all that sorted out and he said, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going no more. I said, it's up to you, well, I said, I wish you would. But I carried on going. And I met Stevie Lankford, I met Giles Alton, Mike Cox. We are all down there together at that particular time, having a laugh and, and learning at the same time. And young Bill Watts passed away. And because we got Tommy Wright, uh, Tom Williams uh, teaching, which were brilliant people. Yeah. You know, they were on your side wanting you to get on. And I really got into it because I met Stevie Langford and we, we, he was up here on the 6th of July this year. Okay, he so came just, to see me and his wife. Three, right. less than three weeks we're still friends from all them years, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was brilliant. Uh, we had a, a great conversation because there were 40, 14 of us went to this jeweler's shop to pick his engagement ring. Uh, he said, I've got to get this engagement and he said, well, I'll come and pass an opinion. And we trooped into the shop in Hereford and when he thought he got a busload coming to buy one ring or what. But anyway, he picked it. I reminded him about that when he came up on the day. Caroline didn't know. Oh dear. Anyway. <laughs> it was good. We we're, we're still remain friends. So sadly, Mike Cox has passed away. Giles Alton passed away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're not getting no younger. This is a problem. Don't Time remind me on. of that, Doug. No, I'm Time not. Time on. So uh, now, um, as you know, I've belatedly taken up photography, but I always admired you as a photographer because it was it was quite a hobby of yours for a long yeah. time, and you were the only farrier at that time I knew that could take a decent picture. Well, I'll tell you what, they've lost, they've lost my thesis, and I, the only one that was sent, I sent six copies, and they were bound, and all the photographs of in it was all the case histories. And they, they said the problem was you've called it a dissertation, instead of thesis and he says they not know what it is that's why they lost it and I said oh dear oh dear but it cost me a lot of money because I did it all on Cibachrome and uh, you'd got to get it right I got my own little data and I used to practice because yeah. most men are colour blind you know and because it was used to bring it in the house at night and show it was it's got a blue tinge that has that one sticking out and back again and I wasted no end of and Cibachrome film was very expensive and uh, but I did my thesis on that and Cases requiring special consideration. It started off with the own tumour. I worked on the own tumour, the case histories on here. Uh, Acerated tendons, 
all shit kicked in some wire and cut both tendons, yeah. let the foot go. And it was called uh, contracted tendons in them days, though it's now ballerina syndrome. I've oh, because, a, yeah, but this is a mature yeah. horse, isn't it? As a, as yeah. a, That's a, the fold there where they've gone past the point. Ah, oh, yes, yeah. Past the point and all that. Yeah. Uh, I looked at a lot of photographs today on Facebook and they don't seem to get the old picture on. You see, just that area. And I'd like to see the old balance of the horse, where it is, and, yeah. and a follow-up like this was done three months ago. It's not, we don't get none I of this. I know, pictures that are just of your result yeah. teach you nothing, do they? No. But, no, you know, farriers don't have any, any excuse now not to take pictures, because we've all got phones and phone, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, and it costs nothing. I mean, the days when you were taking oh, photographs, God, it it. you had to think You've about... you got to send them away, yeah. wait for them to be developed, and then... That scrap, that scrap, oh, not enough light, adjusted to stop. Uh, we got all this and, and how much was it for a roll of 36? All these just all four, four or five quid. Yeah, so. and then developing would cost a similar amount. And then if you wanted to photograph x-rays, I used a film called Die Direct. They used to send that to Germany to be developed, because it was yeah. black and white x-ray film. Yeah. And that was ever so expensive, that way. But if you're interested in the thing, and it was your hobby, and you're learning, yeah. and you're recording. I mean, I've got all these recorded. These are all films. So, oh, sorry. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doug's just wandered off around his museum there. <laughs> these photographs were, yeah, taken on, were taken on ordinary film, Kodak uh, 25, yeah. for close-ups and things like that. And they're still as good today as what they were in 20, 30 years ago yeah. or more. Some of the digital ones don't seem to last as long. Yeah. They seem to fade fairly quickly. Yeah. So I think I was all right taking him on that. And yeah. thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'd be only to a dark room. And one of our teachers, I used to go for lessons, one of our teachers was Chief of Forensics for Derbyshire Police. Roger, jo Roger jo Johnson, his name was. And uh, he used to show us all these little tricks, what they used to use. He took us around the X-ray department and fingerprint department. And you could, you could pick, if you were slow at learning, which we all were in them days, you could pick bits up. Yeah. I mean, they spent their entire life developing half a stop here and half a stop, and they get the perfect picture. Yeah. And they do gardening, shifting bits out of way to get a better shot. And it was really interesting. In fact, he called me out to a felons meeting. He took me to dinner last December. Now, in Derby, it was. And all what used to be called thieves and felons. They used to lock them up before police force. Yeah. And he took me to a goose supper. And it was a tough old goose that way. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh yeah, ladies weren't allowed. It was oh really? Yeah, still, I was quite surprised at that. In this day and age, yeah, Doug. My wife was yeah, very I was going to say you'd be able to please. No, but yeah. uh, we went and it was sticky ground there. Yeah, yeah, it was still okay. So, um, all right. So you 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 built your business. Um, your son came into the business, and now your grandson's a farrier as well. So yeah. three generations. I'd ask people to think twice taking their own son on. It does create problems. That my because father sent me, all right, albeit only a mile up the road, yeah. but in another forge with another farrier. See, I used to ask Neil, and I expect 120% yeah. above anybody else, and he wouldn't. I used to rollick him and kick his ass and all. And he used to tell his mother, and then he used to fall out with me. And I thought, I'm sick of this. So, TV yeah. Langford had a riding school, his father had a big riding school in Wales. and. Um, I said to Steve, would you have my lad for a week, just kick his ass, really, make him study, because he used to be in, wash himself, on with the brute, and out, chasing, and uh, he said, yeah, of course you can, so I took him down to Stevie Langford's. Well, they got all these, they were driving with Grant Moon with it at the time, and they got this old post office van, they were sending them out with that, no floor in it, you could see the road through it, they were driving around Wales, shoeing horses in this post office van. Could you imagine this young lad gone down there to be yeah. brought to tow the line? out of the village. And it is, my dad sent me in. He must think a lot about me sending me in. Oh, my God. But so, so, but your grandson, Tom, he trained he, with he you? He trained here, yeah. Trained yeah. me and Neil in between us. And, and he's been qualified a couple of years, Yeah, he? he's 27 now. Because so I think one of my apprentices was in his, his group. And I, for the life of me, I can't remember which one. But I'm very, very pleased. He does a good job. Yeah. His van's fully kitted with linishes. He's got everything. If he needs it, he gets it. Yeah. It's loaded to the gunnel. He spends time on them. And he, he puts some photographs. What do you think of this, Grandad? And I said, Bygum, it's a nice job. That is, Tom. You took your time a bit. He gets his nails very high, says Bygum. If you'd have been in my day when Edgar Stern saw them up there, says they'd gone blue. You I couldn't get them up here with Edgar Stern. No way. No. You wouldn't have us up there. 
But, uh, as, long as, as long as your boots were polished, yeah. Edgar. Did, we, had an, we had an apprentice called Keith Dodger. Yeah. He worked in Wales and they were abusing him a bit like gardening and all sorts. He went teaching in Ferrari. And Mike Cox said, would you have him up here? I said, yeah, of course I can. If you want, I've got a place for him. And he, he came up, Keith did. And uh, it when Doug Butler first came over, yeah. and he stayed here because he rung up Mike Cox. He said, can you go up to Sunderland and pick Doug Butler up? and put a talk on for him, an evening session, to get him a few quid while he's here. So I'm in Derbyshire branch and we organised it and that big garage downstairs, we had about 30, 40 people in there. We went and fetched a couple of legs and he said, I need something just to protect my clothes. And we got a dustbin liner, cut all it top, and he's got this black dustbin liner on his dissecting legs there. And we made him 400 quid. And he stayed with me like, you know, and I says, do you want to set the table? I said, get a bottle of wine. He says, you're not getting that for me, eh? Yeah, no, no, he says water or orange juice, that's all. And he wouldn't have any alcohol or anything like that. And yeah. we remained friends on Facebook for quite a while. And when he came for his associateship, he stayed. Yeah. Keith, that worked for us, was in Diggs in Hereford, they were at college at the same time. So I used to pick him up and take him to work. He took him from here to Hereford and then took him to college back when he was And he says, What a wonderful lad he was. But he says, He come back after the first week. He says, Mr. Brown, he says, Mike Cox has been to college. And he says, he looked at everybody, he says, Dodsworth, why are you different to everybody else? I said, oh no, you're the only one without clean boots. Yeah. Well, Mike Cox was ex-army man. Yeah, he, yeah, clean boots. So, uh, clean yeah. boots got you a long way. Oh, didn't they just say? Now, Doug, you... property. Well, yes, I, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I think it's still a problem, actually, with some farriers, the way they present themselves. We're never going to work in a, in a suit no, no, and a tie, no, no, no. but wear a collar and, yeah, you yeah. know... Look smart. Yeah. Cost them nothing. Yeah, it doesn't. Make your van tidy, keep it clean. Yeah. Tidy workplace is a tidy workman. Yeah. No, I agree with that. So, now you worked a long time with an injured foot, didn't you? Yeah, oh God, it, it, it was three inches short. Yeah. It was fantastic. Were you born with that? Or were you no, no, a motorcycle. I thought actually. it was a motorbike. Yeah, yeah. crashed a motorbike up in... Uh, Do you know um, the number of farriers that have injured themselves <laughs> on motorbikes, <laughs> not horses, Motorbikes seem to be the biggest cause of injuries to You know, it, it was three inches short, but I could work as fast and as hard as any man in the Derbyshire Hills. What, what on, on the, the near hillside. side, it was the other. Yeah, <laughs> and these lads said, I don't know, Mr. Rabbi, you're quicker than me. I said, well, let me break your leg and you'll be all right. <laughs> you know, and I used to wear this damn great boot. Oh, it weighed a weight, he lifted it up and down, and I thought, oh, I'll blow that, so I didn't wear it a lot. And then, about ten years ago, it got bad, it was twisted, and this was taking all the weight. And they tried to, I had an ankle joint, they had 11 operations right all together, they put a new ankle joint in, yeah. and it started sliding to the side, you had to see it. And um, they said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to load it, I said, well, let's do it. I asked you years ago, yeah. best thing they ever did. The pain went... You've been more comfortable since then. Oh, God, I'm tired, just it was a godsend, really. Yeah. Uh, the old doctor, the old surgeon, we wouldn't listen to you, and this assistant, this lady, night before the operation said, you anything you want to ask me? Because we're going to drill the heel and go up your leg and put a bar up to keep it all in one. I said, it sounds a bit horrific. She said, well, it is really. She says, you know. I said, well, why don't you listen to me when I asked him to take it off years ago? She says, there's a good blood supply, so he won't. She says, but my husband's a surgeon. She's a trauma surgeon, Simon Royston. So she said, would you like me to have a word with him? I said, would you? I said, I've got to have the operation now because he's booked for it in the morning. Yeah. So they drove this great pin up my leg and it wouldn't heal up because they'd opened it that many times, would not heal up. Yeah. So she sent me to see her husband. He says, welcome, come into the basement, bottom floor where He says, I get all the shit from upstairs, you know, that stuff they can't handle comes here. Yeah. He says, I can offer you three things. He says, you've got my lighters in it, it'll kill you. He says, I can take that infected bone out, put it in a cage and put screws so you can stretch it each day. He says, but you're not 18, are you? I says, no. He says, the other thing is put it in the bucket. I said, let's put it in the bucket. He says, when we're thinking? I said, whenever. He said, a week or Tuesday. I said, that'll do me. And me and my wife drove up to the Northern General Hospital, 6 o'clock. I went into trauma theatre. He looked at it. He said, see you later. He marked it there. Joan went had a coffee in the coffee shop. Had an hour or so, read a paper. And she came up to the ward at midday and it went in and dusted. The best thing they ever did. And, uh, and so you've got a prosthesis now. Yeah, oh yeah, I yeah. can see it. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen it, Doug. Oh, they took it off right up close to your knee then. Yeah. 
There we go. And he's trying to ratchet. See that pin? It's like interviewing Long John Silver. Ain't it? Oh, no, You're just missing the parrot. Hey, let me tell you, I should tell you this, because when I woke up for the anaesthetic, I've got two children. Yeah. A boy and a girl. That, by the way, is the knee being pushed back in. <laughs> That's a bit gruesome. Anyway. I'm a boy and a girl. I woke up for the anaesthetic. <clears throat> I've got a stuffed parrot on the bed from Neil. <laughs> and my daughter bought me one flip of when I go swimming. <laughs> You're never going to get sympathy. You think the world of the dad like, didn't oh, they? I yeah. said, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, you keep putting these socks on, you see. There's a rubber one first. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then that pairs and, and, and it's a wonderful, but just press that button, you see. And that releases it. It releases it. Well, it's got toes and everything on. I'm not going to tell you, it'll cost me toenails of painting. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant, that's brilliant. Um, look, Doug, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop it now yeah. because I've never had such a long chat with somebody and I've still got <laughs> another 20 minutes to do. So I'm going to stop this. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I'm still here with Doug in his museum. Uh, Doug Bradbury, I should say. And for part two, we're going to cover plenty of other stuff. Um, all right, Doug, let's, uh, let's talk about the fact that you've both been... Uh, a judge and an examiner. Yeah. Uh, how did you get into competition judging? It was by invitation to company judge, and you took on everything. If you it it, it encountered that you got to do shows, all the shows, Royal International. I did in Birmingham one year. Eric Plant was a, a great mentor of mine, and and Fred Varnum, uh, two great people to work with, and the advice that they gave you was absolutely wonderful. Eric was from Leeds, and when he lost his wife, he used to come and stay with us quite a while here. A lonely man, but very, very clever. We had his room, they called it Eric's room. They put his name on door, kids did. Yeah. That was Eric's room, yeah. And he'd go out on van with us. Didn't used to do out. He'd sit on back at van and talk to clients. They thought it was wonderful. This old man telling about all horses in Leeds and all around about. He showed the Leeds police horses. He worked in the coal mines. And he did, he did the... Vox Brewery, did he? Yeah, not Volks. Uh, yeah, he did Volks, yeah, because yeah. he taught lad to shoot. But he also did Tetley's as well. He was yeah. employed by Tetley's. That um, would have been yeah. a big brewery, wouldn't it? Oh, well, it was in Central Leeds, yeah. But I mean, it's all been sold over to Carlsberg yeah, yeah. and that now. But they had their own forge and everything there. And uh, said he, he got quite... And he judged all around England and Wales. All well, he, he, he examined me. And, of course, somebody else... It was quite kind on the day examined me from a fellowship, yeah, which yeah, was yeah. you. Yeah, you put your head on the bloody... I did. <laughs> on the hood, the, the forge hood, there was Dennis... No, 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 the, the, the striker, and I'm not blaming oh, the striker, oh, because oh. I told him we'd got to get a move on, and I clipped the sledge as it came down. Oh, right. I hit myself on the head with a hammer. I thought you could have done corner at no. the hood, because it was quite a lot of blood coming of it here. I got patched up, didn't I? Mm, I sat yeah. down. Yeah. I was given five minutes extra and because uh, I, I did lose five minutes and I, I successfully passed and as was said afterwards somebody should have hit him over the head with a hammer a long time ago <laughs> <laughs> but yes yeah, so you were my examiner yeah. there you yeah. and you and roger clark and yeah. i remember i was terrified of the two of you yeah yeah um but anyway it, it, it sort of everything went well after i got hit by that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best show i think i've ever made oh brilliant but these roger clark um, Eric Bland, excuse me, they're all looking for everyday good jobs. We yeah. weren't looking for all this here polish and spitting. Yeah. And you weren't allowed to rasp above nails and things like that for the strength of the foot, keeping yeah. the strength there. And if it's a good everyday job like you were taught to do at home and no fancy work, I mean, you can be tidy but still be a good job. That's what we were looking for. And, and, then, I, and I think um, from the competition's point of view, you've, you've judged at Calgary. Yeah. So how did that happen? And you got... Quite a decent uh, trip over, didn't you? We did a, a, a reduced price. I shot for a girl that worked for Ward Air out of Manchester. And we told her what we were doing. She said, leave it with me. I'll sort it you. Half price, first class to Canada. And we landed in uh, in Canada, in Calgary. And they'd sent taxis and that for these lads. Grant, Moon, my son, and Carl Bettison. Billy Carruthers was going, but he couldn't afford it. And he went with some horses that were going over into America and he hitchhiked from America up into Canada. Is that right? And he arrived in Grant and Neil's room and Carl's room three o'clock in the morning. Hutch up, I'm getting in with you. 
to save his hotel bill. So there's a photograph of him somewhere pulling up in the moment these two cases he'd got. Uh, and of course Grant Moon as a young man used to practice in the forge below where the, we the are museum now, yeah. where we're sat. Yeah, yeah, he used to come every day. They had this big hotel in Derby. Because his dad moved, he started selling fruit from a taxi, his dad did originally. Then they had these different hotels up and down, Ross on Wine, then they moved a bit further. Then they got the old railway hotel in Derby and they extended it and extended it. And uh, his grand brother used to look after it. He was nothing to do with horses at all, Mark, but a lovely lad, uh, very keen on hotel business. And they sold it for three and a half million pounds. And of course, but they got to leave the country because of the activity. So they built a place, they got a place in the Isle of Man called Jimmy's. Reason for Jimmy's, it was their very first show point that the two lads had, Jimmy. Okay. And that's why this place was called, it's still open today, I think, Jimmy's nightclub in the Isle of Man. And uh, Grant went to America to live and then he came back to the Isle of Man. He married this Texas girl and uh, he set his business Isle of Man, he went to Ireland all over Shewin and uh, he quite got it tied up and then suddenly he lost interest somehow and they've I've got an hotel in, uh, he had one down in Chester. He's Shropshire now, isn't he? Yeah, Shropshire, Booker Tree Hotel with his yeah. one. Now Mark's got one in Sheffield, he's got the hotel in Sheffield again in Rotherham. He's also got a big hotel up in the Lake District, Mark has. Oh, he has really? a flat in Belgravia. He drives a Porsche. The poshest part of London. Oh, yeah, you see. He drives a Porsche yeah. about, but he's quite oh, poorly at the moment, which is sad, okay. really. So Grant used to come here and practice on yeah. occasions. Yeah. Now, you must have given him a tip or two. Yeah, well... That helped him towards being a multiple world champion. <laughs> he first came, he said, could you tell me how to work brass? I said, yeah, OK, and he used to come at night, so we used to switch the lights off, work in the Ford, work in this air brass, five-eight square, tool and fullard, and I made him an iron preventer. Oh, that's okay, cleaned up lovely, that has. And uh, then we used to come back at night, Grant's been today, this filing's all over the shop, brass filing, like a gold shop, it was a goldsmith shop. What's he on me anyway? He says, I'm, I'm going to Canada to Texas to live. I said, oh really? He says, yeah, yeah. He says, I've got a competition over there, I'm going to do a riding school with John Marino. That's where it was, John Marino, we were talking to a uh, fairy school. I said, well, best of luck, laddie, so I brought you these as a farewell gift, a friendship gift. Yeah. Well, John and I knew we were good, and we'd had him a gold ring made with a horse head in, horseshoe, in return. And we didn't know anything about the shoes, but he said, got them there. And those are the ones he yeah, made. Yeah, they're sat all, behind me now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, head, they're all in brass. They've never been cleaned for ages, but they're still very nice. And we've got David Gully's ones on the right-hand side, and the ones I made for my fellowship on the left-hand side. So... Uh, Actually, it's a good point to say because, you know, to my shame, this is my first visit here. Yeah, yeah. Been like 10 or 20 years I've been intending coming, but I did get it. But um, tell me, people can visit this museum. Anytime, Farriers. it's free, anytime, Farriers. We have lots of pony clubs come around. I do, I do quite, before I was taking poorly, I was doing three or four nights a week talks. Yeah to WI's Church Women's Guild, all funny stories that's happened to apprentices, like, like I told you, didn't yeah. you? And, and they gushed away laughing. And I would say, if you can make people happy, yeah. the pain disappears, and they, they've very survived a wonderful laugh. Can we come to the museum? I said, of course you can, we've had busloads come. So if, I, if I'm a farrier and I'm, I'm visiting the UK, yeah, or yeah. I'm living in the UK yeah. and want to come up here, they can find you on Facebook, Yeah, yeah. send you a message, yeah. and just book in and come and have a look. Just tomorrow and, I, I, and if they stuck with, there's only John and I with two spare bedrooms. Because when Grant came over from America, he used to bring the American team with him. Yeah. We'd have a meal here, then they'd go across to the pub and they'd drink till two and three o'clock in the morning. And they thought Cut. it was fantastic. <laughs> and, but there'd be a dozen farriers to cope with. Yeah. We've had Shane Carter, Craig Troika, all these people, and they've slept on the floor and all over the place. I said to you, it's great, I love your country, you know. And <laughs> Bernie Chapman. You yeah, know, well, Bernie was a wonderful character. Great, but, but wonderful you know, I, I, I'm amazed at this museum. I, everybody told me you had a good museum. But it isn't just the depth of the number of shoes and the displays and uh, going back a long way, it's how much you know about it, you yeah. know. And yeah. you gave me demonstrations of, of tools down in the forge. You've shown me shoes that I've never seen. 
quite obscure shoes, but um, but also historic shoes, and explained how how they're um, why they were made and how they're used. And you know, for anybody interested in in, in the history of shoeing and farriery and how it all comes together, it's just amazing. When place. I think a few weeks ago, my my daughter took me up to Adrian's Wall to the Roman Working Museum, yeah. where they're doing digs, and they've unearthed four. Ippo sandals in perfect yeah. condition. They were buried in clay. Yeah. And they've run after them and washed them. I've got some lovely photographs of them. Four, I mean, I don't believe they shot all four at the fronts at one yeah. time because the Adrian's Wall is 68 mile long, six meters high. Yeah. And they do an aerial view, a, photo, a video of an aerial view going over it across from the North Sea to the Irish Sea, yeah. the narrowest part of England, like from Newcastle across into the Irish Sea. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. And when you think those shoes are two thousand years old, and it's the close-ups, you can see the scores in the sole. That that was the thing that impressed me because you showed me the pictures, mm. which shows that quite clearly <coughs> they were attached while they were bound to the foot and the leg. Mm, yeah, yeah, but they couldn't have been bind in the bottom because they wouldn't need those grips, would they? So they no. were clearly used over quite a distance, and they needed to give the horse grip. So I was, I learnt something about them. In other words, they weren't just should we say a hospital shoe or almost the equivalent of a bandage for a horse that was lame? They were clearly used over a distance. Yeah, you warm type of thing. Yeah. And uh, I take one as I reproduced from years ago on the shelf at back there. To these talks, I was telling these ladies, I said the horse's foot would be placed in like that. And I used to say, all secured by leather thongs. And all these young girls start giggling. Are you sure they were leather thongs? Questions. I said, yeah, yeah, that's what it says. I, haven't you ever seen a thong? I says, no, you're not very experienced are you? And they get all yeah. these kickbacks from this audience. I thought, oh my goodness, here we go again. <laughs> and, uh, so, so you're still the, the innocent yeah. Billy's boy from Clay Cross, are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, Doug. Yeah. I've, I've, I've seen you do but that act before. I think if I can make people happy, then... Um, well, you, you certainly do that. You, you always make me... What we do, we, we charge... It used to be 30 quid, it got up to 50 quid. And we donate it to, we do yeah. three charities. We do the Air Ambulance, yeah. Cancer Research, and we've got a little hospital down the road here. We, we split it's it between the three of them. Well, that's brilliant. And, uh, you know, so it just helps that little bit. And well, it I, takes I, us out. I mean, sometimes we get a dinner thrown in or a supper or yeah. whatever, because you go to the WR and they've all got wonderful cake makers and some wonderful people. Try this, try that. And I said, I'm on a diabetic, I'm on a diet, but... Oh dear, I'm, I'm very weak world. I'm sure, I'm sure and, you just, just you know, to be polite, and yeah, then have a little you, bit. Would it? you come to dinner at the golf club and all this? But I say, if I can get them rolling, we're laughing. Now, I, I'm, I'm glad to say that um, not only your work as a farrier, but this museum and in the local community, your work has been recognised and you were awarded an MBE, weren't you, yep. a couple of years ago, yep. member of the British Empire. That's quite mm -hmm. something. I think all of us thought no one deserves it more so that was Thank that you. was quite special um but you had to go down to buckingham palace to receive it well yeah but first of all you get this big brown envelope come i thought it was tax demand <laughs> i thought they finally caught us <laughs> and you've been awarded this but you must not say anything because yeah. it comes the first of december you've got a month or so before first of january they said the press will ring how do you keep something secret like that and you see it was an horse owner that i shot for many 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 years ago and she got married and went to live in Canada. And her mother owned the post office at Riddings, a little village. And Charles Leslie says she can't get anybody to make any shoes bigger. She bred these Anavarians. Well, there were none at factories making the bigger ones yeah. in that particular age. And this was back beginning of the 60s type of thing. And she says, would you make them and, and, and I'll send them. I said, yeah, and I made her several sets and kept sending them to, to Canada. Then she came back to this country. She's carried on breeding Anavarians. Now, I took her on when she first came back, but I was coming up to retire age. I said, I'm going to have to pass you on this because I'm packing some of the business in. Well, she's had every farrier under the sun because she's only a little woman and she don't do an awful lot with them and the big stroppy horse, they pull you about. Well, if you're a bloke like me and then you've got a couple of apprentices, you can soon get under them and get up, lad. And she's had every blacksmith and then suddenly Tom dropped in. She says, Tom Bradbury, she says, your relation to Doug Bradbury? He said, my granddad, she says, do you know, she's time something we've done about that man. She says, uh, recognise what he's done for us and training farriers. Because this place started for apprentices. Yeah. 
Yeah. Lots of farriers hadn't got facilities I had here. Yeah. And I said, if you come on, have a look, we used to dissect. I'll tell you a funny story. All them dissections were done in this yard here. Yeah. We have a Chinese fish shop just above. And when he used to cook his curries, oh, it did used to stink. So I used to put my copper on at the same time and blend it. <laughs> Thursdays we didn't do any cooking, cut his day off. But there was railway horses, there's all sorts, Thomas, Caratomas, Paul's yeah, legs here, there's all sorts. A huge collection, yeah. And uh, so that's how we used so to So you're that. saying that you got an MBE because you were bright enough to use the smell of a Chinese <laughs> fish shop to cover up the stink. Spectrum, dissecting, getting to yeah, know knowledge. <laughs> a lot of the horses I'd worked on, I was so inquisitive, I want to know why. Why has yeah. this not gone right? Or but anyway, wrong? look, listen, Doug, I have to control you a bit here. Yeah, right. Because we've gone into part two, and I'm still not sure whether we're ever going to get finished. But <laughs> listen, so you went down to the palace, and yeah. it was the Princess Royal there. It was, yeah. And of course, that was very appropriate because of the support. We didn't know who it was until we got there, yeah. so we got the run through, like, you know. I went in my wheelchair because I, I wasn't I was on crutches, and the surgeon at the hospital said, I'm going to give you a couple of injections. I said, I want to be stood up for Queen. I'm not sitting down. He said, I'll give you a couple of injections. I went to Sheffield and they put my two injections in my bike. And I went on wheelchair. The facilities were fantastic. They met us in car park through the, in the yard, little lift onto the, into the library, into the picture library. What a place. The carpets you sank into. I thought, oh, Neil will dig it into push. Yeah. I could do my pony. <laughs> and uh, they took us through and up, up the ballroom. He dropped me off at the ballroom. Yeah. And Neil went round to the other side. And I got to walk across the ballroom. And John with three rows back, and it says uh, Douglas Bradbury, services to ferry industry and the community. She said, and Princess Anne Frisch went like that. Yeah. So she turned. And I walked up, and you know, and I said, Mom, haven't you retired yet? I says, Not really. She said, You still come to London? I said, Well, I can get. I've not been able to just lately, but I can get. I says, When I can, I enjoy it. She says, That's great. I said, The museum's going lovely. She says, That's wonderful, because it was something you always wanted to do, wasn't it? Yeah. I said, It was, yeah. Yeah, she said, best of luck. I said, we've, in fact, we've got the King's Troop coming up the week after, I think. It was a backyard yeah. on there. And they come up, King's Troop came up and brought us that and had a look around and thought it was fantastic. And it's things that go on. There's a lad came up from Melton and he put a bit on Facebook uh, yesterday, Saturday. Somebody gave him an old farrier book. Did I want it? Had I got it in the museum? He said, I came up to see your museum. He said, I would just wonder if you got it. If not, I'm going to put it both ways. Yeah. And I said, you know, it, it grows and grows and grows. Yeah. And it's for somebody to look after and inherit. I mean, I'm 82 now, so, yeah. you know, I can't go on forever. My granddaughter comes up and hoovers up and what do you want to do? And my future son-in-law put me some brackets up the other day. And, well, uh, it's, in, it's in wonderful condition. Uh, I, I would say, I'm, I'm sure it was a real experience. I remember we sat next to each other at a company do, which was just yeah. a few weeks after you were awarded it. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously that caused a lot of celebration amongst the farriers mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, we need farriers to yeah. be recognised for, for what they well, do. Yeah. And, 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 and not just within the company mm -hmm. or the craft, but mm -hmm. outside in the, out, in, in the yeah. wider world. And yeah. you getting that award helped us get that recognition. Now, Doug, uh, you, were, you were one of my interviewees who didn't need to know the questions before because you're an old troop and you, and you don't care what what gets Every thrown at wrong, that's it, yeah. But yeah. when even when I tell people the questions, because some yeah. do like to know them, mm -hmm. I keep one back secret. Yeah. But anyway, it's what I call the deep philosophical question. What I'd like to know is what you think is the most important thing you've learnt during your life. I think being as fortunate as I have is charity. Sharing with other people yeah. your knowledge, yeah. whatever you can, share, yeah. and keep people happy. Turn up on time, be reliable. Let pe I had one lady ring up once and she says, you're not the best farrier, but at least when I ring up I can always speak to you, it's not the answer phone. That used to be my <laughs> philosophy in business. <laughs> if you turn up on time, then you were good. You're, yeah, you're, you're good, yeah. You're on the yeah. winner. Treat everybody equal. You know, don't try and rip people off. A good day's work, a good day's pay. And I was quite happy. I made a nice living. I'm comfortable, John and I. You know, we don't want for anything, so we're, we're all right. Well, you have a good lifestyle and you live in the heart of where you grew up. Yeah. And surrounded by your family. Absolutely, true, yeah. That's what all of us would want. And surrounded by this wonderful museum. So just to reinforce it, this is Doug Bradbury's 
Museum of Farriery, but yeah. it is open to anybody. Anybody, horse owners, and general public, equine owners, pets. And I would say to farriers, you know, take advantage of that. You will have one of the best days of your life. And yeah. you'll, you'll have the opportunity of, of Doug explaining to you in detail yeah. many of these things. So it's not just, it's not just artifacts no. on shelves. It's a full I explanation of their their place in history. I just wish that Neil was a bit more interested in this side of it. Neil's happy shooting horses every day. Yeah. Tom's interested. Well, I mean, there's stuff in there that Tom's bought, these documents. I brought you this kind of thing. It's not antique, Tom. It's a first knife that we made. And it will it, be. He gave 400 quid for it. He says, <laughs> I said, Jesus, wept. I said, I'll give three quid for that. <laughs> frost. I said, I always had a frost knife. They were wonderful with you to make butchered knives. They, they still sell them, you know. Yeah. They still have the best blade. Oh, God, yeah. Frost. You could sharpen them. Frost of Sweden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frost of Sweden are, the, are the, still the best knives. Yeah. So that's great. So people can contact you in, in that way. Yeah. Look you up, as I did. You're 40 Thanet Street. 40 Thanet Street, Clay Cross, yep. Near Chesterfield, S459JR. Right, S459JR, because it would have helped me coming up here if oh, I had right. but it's it's right. had 40 yeah. Phone number, do you want me phone number or what? No. I'll get that off you and yeah. we will we will give that out uh, with this because yeah, I, think, yeah, yeah. I think I think barriers you know and, and branches ought to come and have a trip and see you yeah. and, uh, and and as you say, just interested parties would. So, you know, Doug, as, as I said to you, this is by far the longest podcast I've done. So <laughs> long, is it? And, and that'll even be with the bits cut out that yeah. are not for public consumption. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's the longest one I've done, so it's going to be split into two parts. Yeah, yeah. And whether we run them almost mm. consecutively, I don't know. That's, that's up to Sophie. She manages that side yeah, of things. Yeah. But all I can say is uh, thanks for showing me around the museum. Thank you for, for, for taking the time out yeah. to do this interview. It's really been wonderful. You're most Thanks, welcome. Doug. You're most Thank welcome, Simon. Any Thank time. You. Thank you. Yeah. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.